0: Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty, and we've got a special treat for you today because we are in my home office live on camera with my dear friend, Rob Van Cranenbrock. But I got to do my normal intro because on the Balancing Act, we talk to business leaders and industry experts to explore the balancing acts we play in our professional lives, learn about the events that put rocket boosters behind their career success today. Here it comes. We have Rob Van brought joining us. Rob is co-founder of Culture at Work, a leading organization, organizational culture consulting business based right here in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Rob is also the author of The Culture Factor. Welcome to the show, Rob.
1: Thanks so much, Andy. Certainly good to see you again.
0: Big plug for The Culture Factor. Yes, it's awesome t- to uh, see each other. We worked together at Kaplan. When, when did you leave Kaplan?
1: About 2015. So, but it was a a long run, a great run, not a good run. It was a great run. We did a lot of great things under your leadership and thank you for that. So uh, the great part about it was you not only accomplished great things, but we had fun doing it. A lot of fun doing it. At least I did.
0: Yeah. And I, I did see at least one uh, reference in the culture factor uh, to your time there and, uh, well, uh, it was on strategic ambiguity, I
1: believe. Yes.
0: We, we, had, we, we, we had a bit of strategic ambiguity for a time there.
1: We, we were moving fast. <laughs> there was a lot of moving parts. Uh, there was a lot of acquisitions and things of that nature. But we we, writeed, we got back on track, right? Yes. We, we recognized it, but it was a learning opportunity. And uh, we got back on track and did great things.
0: Yes, yes we did. Uh, Rob, I ask all my guests this question. What's your story?
1: Story really starts in uh, the 80s when I was actually um, in a retail company. And I had decided that that company was no longer for me. It was time to leave. The company was not doing well. And we had a new CEO. And he was visiting all the stores in the districts. And he sat down with me and he said, you've been successful here. Uh, You're well respected in the company. So here's your opportunity since you're leaving anyway. Tell me what's right and what's wrong. <laughs> what do we do really well? What do we really stink at? And uh, of course, having given my notice already, I could speak pretty freely. And I was very complimentary because we did a lot of things well. But the thing I was highly critical of was the human resource department. Sure. And I said, it's anything but a resource. In fact, it's an impediment and they have no business acumen. And so they're really problematic and they're strangling some of my ability to get things done in the business. And he looked at me and he said, I agree a hundred percent. He said, so what do we do about it is the question. And I thought nothing for me because I'm going out the door (laughs) soon, right? And he said, well, if you'd like an opportunity to do something about it tomorrow morning, you will get tickets to relocate to New Jersey and you can head up human resources. Because I'd like somebody with an operational background to do that. Wow. To which I thought, I'll never get that package the next day. The next day I came into my office, I was sitting there in uh, in Kansas. And uh, sure enough, the package is there and the tickets are there. And I'm 27 years old, 28 years old, single and saying, what the heck? I'm going to give it a shot, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And And it was like, be careful what you ask for. Because yeah. all of a sudden you get it. Never would have dreamed of it. When I woke up that day, never saw that coming, but uh, there it was, and it was the opportunity of a lifetime.
0: So I also like to ask my guest the key accelerant moment, was that your rocket booster moment or is there another moment in your career that just uh, really uh, put rocket boosters behind your career?
1: That certainly was, I would say, the first one taking that trip. Had I said no to that and was shying away from that, I wouldn't be sitting here probably talking to you today, right? Right. But the real opportunity came at I was afforded the opportunity to really learn from other consultants and professionals that they had brought about and saying, look, we we know what you know, we know what you don't know, but we believe in you and we're going to invest in you. And so the opportunity to be locked in Woodbridge, New Jersey, in the Sheraton hotel for seven weeks. And I did not leave that hotel for seven weeks every single day. And I was inundated with business process, culture, learning lean concepts, learning about human resources, the legality of it. And then I was put in charge and said, okay, now build build us a business plan that starts to maximize human capital, right? And starts to, to pull us out of this, what we were facing was bankruptcy and start to build that business plan with the rest of the executives. And it was an opportunity of a lifetime. And that gave me the visibility, that gave me the ability to influence the organization. And I still had a lot to learn. I still made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and there was times that somebody said, who's the kid? When I was introduced to the board, <laughs> they said, who's the kid? And, uh, but I stuck to it. I knew I was gonna fail along the journey at times. And I did fail, as I said, but but I, I kept kind of the stiff upper lift and said, I'm going to make this happen. And a couple of years later, I was able to look back, reflect and say, we pulled that company out of bankruptcy. We're a healthy organization again. And, and the, ref, the ability to reflect back and saw what I had accomplished along with so many others, right, that helped me really started me on the learning journey. I had honestly never read a book in my life to that point, and even in <laughs> through school, I don't know how I got through school. But at that point too, I had a thirst for more. Yeah, And I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to reorganize companies. I wanted to inject culture into companies, a positive culture. And I became very thirsty for more information. And I started reading a couple books a week and I haven't stopped since.
0: That's great. Well, let's uh, make that transition to culture because that's what we're uh, here to talk about. This is part of a mini series that uh, we're doing on the show on culture. Uh, Let's talk about your new book and workplace culture. Uh, What prompted you to write uh, the, The Culture Factor? And while you're talking about that, uh, tell us what organizational culture means to you.
1: Sure. Well, what prompted it somewhat was therapeutic. I needed to put pen to paper. It was 20 years of post-it notes and a lot of napkins from airlines yep. uh, with notes on there. And so it was therapeutic for me to just to organize my thoughts in a coherent manner. So that was just healthy for me. It was a little bit selfish, I guess you could say, right? Yeah. Um, I,
0: I know that selfishness <laughs> firsthand because that's literally what I'm doing right now with my two books. It's getting all of this out, right? Yeah,
1: in yeah. great books, right? A lot of insight to be given. And so the, the other piece was to be able to get the message that I felt was so important to organizations to a broader audience, an audience that I otherwise wouldn't reach. Right. It was never about, and you and I talked about this before we went on air, it was never about how many books you could sell. It was never about that. And I think for most of the authors that I know, it really isn't about that. It's about getting that message out that they believe in, right? And then the other piece for me is I really believe that organizations need to stop thinking about business results independent of employee engagement and good processes. We rush to results right away where if we want a more sustainable organization, we respect the Work purpose that people need to feel every day and that creates some engagement. And when you can do that, you can really identify best practices in your processes. And that not only gets you short term results, that's what gets you sustainable results. Yeah.
0: Yeah, So (laughs) embedded in that question was what is organizational culture to you?
1: Yeah. To me, it's about what an organization collectively believes in, how they behave each day. And do they have commonality towards their purpose and that they can reflect on that purpose with some degree of regularity that says, are we on track? Are we doing the things that we're supposed to be doing as a business? Are we really consistent with our business purpose?
0: Yeah. So this book, The Culture Factor, what sets it apart from the literal sea of books that are out there that have the word culture on sure. the front cover because there are a lot of
1: them. There's a few out there, isn't yeah. there? There's a few <laughs> out there and I was hoping that'd be really painfully evident right away, but uh, the, the difference for me is, first of all, I wrote it in a different way in a, what I hope is a very simplistic way, an easy way to digest. It's almost more a series of essays than it is a book. Yeah. To some extent. So the other piece was everyone in the other books that I've read on culture, and there's certainly many good ones out there, but they've talked about what to do. And I think one thing that they've eliminated from there or or did not touch on is the barriers that you're going to face, because you're going to face those barriers when you ask people to change. And so we've tried to concentrate in the culture factor about what are those barriers that you need to as a leader face up to. Recognize and be prepared to overcome those barriers. If you do that, you can accelerate your change process, your cultural transformation so much quicker. If you do not address those up front, they're going to come up anyway, and they're going to derail you. And that's when you get this stop and start mode, right? And then people start to stop to believe. And you only have so many chances to do this before that employee community finally says, we've heard this story before, right? Yeah. This, this is flavor of the month. This is right. the next new right. culture, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. You only get so many strikes at this thing. So so for us, we tried to make sure that people understood some things before they started and what was really critical to obtaining the culture that you want. And I talk about some of those things in terms of cascading the message methodically through the organization. And I can talk more about that here in a little bit, maybe, and, and also systematizing it. So it isn't all on one person in the organization, and certainly many, many too many times, it's HR. It's delegated to, yeah, and that's a recipe for disaster. From an HR professional, that's a recipe for disaster.
0: Yeah, what I what I found as uh, chief executive uh, is in my role as chief executive is, you know, there's so much going on. I wanted to delegate culture. And I sure. tried to delegate culture to other parts of the organization. But, uh, the you know, the, I was on another podcast this morning and the guy asked me, well, wh- what's one thing that you've really learned? And this whole culture aspect uh, came top of mind is like, yeah, culture started with me as the chief executive and Right. And everything followed from there instead of, oh, we want a better culture. So I'll anoint somebody as being the culture guru and we'll hire a consultant. And then what all that does is turn into flavor of the month. Right. The five things that you need to install. And everybody reads uh, some some book of the five things or the seven things. And it's all of a sudden going to be okay.
1: Right. Yeah. But the one thing, though, that as a CEO, you did do is you were very clear with me as your director of, op, uh, director of human resources up front is let's be careful about who we let in. And so we had a pretty high threshold for who got to come in and play. You used to call permission to play a little bit. Sometimes yeah. we referred to as, and we talk about that in the book also. And it wasn't that somebody could have five of the seven or six of the seven. We were pretty literal about if they don't have all seven of these attributes, they don't come in the door. Yeah. So we did a lot of good work around that. Could we have been a little more methodical about it up front and and distributed that cultural responsibility out more? Yes, we could have, but we did we did a pretty good job of that. Yeah, we
0: we had uh, values to to clarify what Rob's talking about here. We had values plus behaviors, correct? Because in your definition of culture. behavior is a big part of that definition. And I didn't really make that connection uh, kind of soon enough that, okay, we're the work that we're doing around values plus behaviors that does equal culture or is a big, big part of, uh, of that diagram. So, and, and we hired for, the behaviors. Correct. That's, that's what Rob is talking about, not letting anybody in the door. And we we checked those boxes. We did.
1: I remember one of the things that you were insisted upon very early on, and I was really glad to hear it because that's the company I thought I joined, but he said, I want everyone to have a sense of entrepreneurship. If they don't have it, they don't belong here. doesn't make them bad people. I remember you saying, doesn't make them bad people. They just don't belong here. Right. Right. Uh, and, and that always stuck with me. So, and yeah. and we built off those attributes. Yeah.
0: So, Rob, before we cut to commercial break, let's talk balancing acts. It's the name of the show. Uh, if, if you're a corporate decision maker, the chief human resources officer, sometimes the CLO, uh, in charge of improving the cultural landscape in the organization, what's the balancing act that you have to consider before you start? jumping to implementation?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, a really important one. First and foremost, it has to be part of the strategic plan, the business plan. If it's not embedded in the strategic business plan, you're gonna wafer on it, you know, you're gonna waffle on it a little bit. So uh, to me, it has to be because to me, having the right culture, A culture that's intentional in your mind of what you want is the enabler for everything else you do in the organization. It it really enables human capital to be maximized, for people to do their best work. So I think you have to, upfront be able to make that commitment that, as you said too, your responsibility was as CEO. We have to make sure that the C-suite really understands it, adopts it, and behaves it before we go touting at the top of the mountain that this is what our new culture is going to be, right? Because otherwise what we do is we tell them what the new culture is and we're not behaving it yet. Well, now we have a conflict. So if there's one thing I would say that they need to really balance on is to make sure that they look inward, make sure they're behaving what they're asking people, other people for those behaviors. Make sure that they're actually exhibiting those behaviors themselves and setting that, that, that role model.
0: Yeah, that's not just the CHRO, the typically the one who's in charge of implementation. That's the entire C suite.
1: Absolutely. Right.
0: You and I have you and I have been in the room where it happens, and we've got eight or nine of us sitting around, and it's really uncomfortable when you know that Person number four, detractor, is is is, is 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 nodding their head yes, but inside is actually going, oh hell no, I'm not doing I'm not doing any right. of this, I'm not signing. Behavior number five, no, I don't ascribe to that, and that then leaks out into the organization, and then everybody scratches their heads, why aren't we getting? The results that we're looking for.
1: Yeah, there can't be any leaks, right? It's got to yeah. be 100% on board and you need to have the candid conversation with anybody you suspect is not 100% on board. Maybe they need some more time, but they certainly can't be verbally detracting from it. If they're doing that, they're killing you. Yeah. They're, they're absolutely killing you. Yeah.
0: Well, we're going to cut to a short commercial break and we'll be right back with Rob Van Cranenbrock. Hi, I'm Andy Tempty. Over the past 35 years, I've learned a lot about business leadership and I'd like to share those lessons with you. Ask yourself, how do I create an effective, sustainable management operating system? How do I design smooth workflows to better serve the customer? How do I balance organizational trust with accountability the Balanced Business describes the practical, step-by-step process you need to answer these questions. Order your copy today, wherever books are sold. And we're back with Rob Van Cranen-Brock talking about the world of corporate culture. Rob, let's run a little thought experiment. Suppose you're talking to a mid-level manager or an individual contributor working in a business or institution. And they believe that their company's corporate culture is suboptimal. They probably feel stuck and powerless. What advice do you have for this individual to make a difference?
1: Yeah, that can be a difficult situation. Um, I would start off with, first of all, be the change that you want to see. Be the change that you want to see each and every day. Remain committed to it. And if you're head of a particular functional area within the business, make sure that that change occurs within that that functional area so that that can be um, a, a beacon for the rest of the organization to say, this is how we can still get business results and we can do it with a high level of employee engagement. We can do that by uh, having the right values in in our department and make sure that, in fact, we can still be collaborative. We'll get those those results that we talked about and we'll do so in this particular manner while still giving employees a really great work atmosphere, work they can be proud of. Work that when they they drive home at night, they feel good about. When they yeah. drive in the morning, they feel good about what they're gonna what they're gonna challenge and, and be challenged with. Right, so uh, be that you'll be and think of yourself as an influencer. You may not be the decision maker in what happens in terms of that culture, but you can sure be an influencer. And while that road might be a little bit longer, it's a journey worth taking. Definitely.
0: Yeah, everybody wants to be an internet influencer and have Instagram profiles with thousands and thousands, and they, you know, the dopamine hits that everybody's addicted to now. But you can do that at work. The, the thing that I would uh, ask you to kind of expand on here is the persistence and the resilience and the grit that it takes to be that influencer because you're going to start – and it'll be like beating your head against the wall in many cultures. How do you advise uh, this this, individ- this hypothetical individual we're talking about to, quote unquote, keep the faith and keep up the good work in the face of headwinds from the C-suite or the colleague who's sure. not quite
1: getting it? And, yeah. Yeah. Keep, keep that picture in your mind, right? And know how rewarding that journey is going to be when when you get there and you start to see those results because you will get there if you're persistent. You will because people will follow you. If you're an effective influencer, they know you have their best interests in mind and we're getting good work results. People want to belong in that situation. They want to adopt that. They want to be led. So it's not just taking people where they think they want to go. It's taking them where their capabilities can take them. And when you can do that as a leader, eventually the organization will recognize that. And it may not be the leadership that's in place today. You never know, right? There could be a change in leadership at any time and that really kind of started my career was a change in leadership. So stay the course. It will be a long journey. It's not weeks and it's not months most likely, right? It might be years, but stay the course. The reward, the upside is tremendous. Don't lose sight. Take your people with you. Keep reminding them of the good work that they're doing and that their work matters. It matters that they show up every day related to the organization's mission.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and if you can do that on a very regular basis, you will get a level of employee engagement that others will notice. They will want to know why and you'll be able to tell them why and be an influencer in the organization.
0: Yeah, and I, I, the thing I would add to, to that is uh, to also... Have the courage to be transparent and forthcoming with leadership about what you're up to. Oh, absolutely! You know that you're not just doing this in secret behind the scenes. You are uh, you, you are trying to influence from the middle. I can, from personal experience, influencing from the middle is really hard. really hard. Yes, but if you're if you're open and transparent and saying. Look, I think we've got some issues here in my own part of the organization. I'm going to try to solve some of these challenges and hopefully you, senior leadership, you can see the results of some of these things and then maybe we can work together to adopt them.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that is is going to be evident if you stay that journey uh, as kind of a functional leader is other people will see the growth of your people. And they will see the accomplishments and it's up to you to tout those accomplishments, not what you've done with your functional area, right? Look what some of my team has done in calling those things out, calling out the growth of those people, some of the business decisions that they're making and the impact that's had on the profitability of the business, the growth of the business, the health of the business, people will stand up and take notice on that. And your, your, your day will come where you will become uh, an influencer over multiple functional areas maybe, and eventually throughout the organization. But you do, to your point, Andy, have an obligation though, to bring that forward to the most senior leadership in the organization. Because senior leadership sometimes is thought to, well, they're the senior leaders. They should have all the answers, right? (laughs) And it it just simply doesn't work that way. So sometimes they need the reminder, sometimes gentle, sometimes a little harder reminder, but, but. Be the influencer. Don't self-promote, promote Promote your people and what they're doing, how they're doing it, how they're growing, and people will take notice.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Don't self-promote because that's when it backfires. And I'm looking at you, audience, that the, that's when it backfires is, yes. oh, well, Susie is just uh, trying to promote her own thing Correct. and her own brand. And
1: uh, you, you better know, be is, authentic about it. You this gotta is be selfish, authentic.
0: not 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 authentic. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's shift gears to a thought experiment mm. all about the C-suite. It was a nice okay. logical uh, transition there you, there. you got a CEO sitting right in front of you. I, I'm a former CEO. <laughs>
1: Uh, My uh, former CEO. There you go.
0: And uh, that CEO has been sold a few times on gimmicky uh, culture programs that start, stop, flavor the month like we were talking about before. Uh, They don't want to give up necessarily, but they're super frustrated. What advice do you have for this CEO uh, to put them on the path to success?
1: Yeah, it's important because there are so many stop and starts and and people get not only do the, the C suite get frustrated, but the employee community gets frustrated as well, right? Yeah. So from from my perspective, I think what's really important is that they know where they want to take the culture and what is that culture supposed to look like and how does that culture then support the mission? If we can make that connection, we get kind of the visual in our mind, right, of where we want to go. Then what I would I would ask those folks is to make sure that they, they find the four or five pillars that will really support that culture. What are those things? Is it employee engagement? Is it better decision-making? Whatever those four or five pillars are, and it probably shouldn't be any more than those four or five. Otherwise it gets, it just gets too big. From there, then you, you, you take another step back and you say, what are the behaviors that make those pillars come to life in our culture? When you can go through each of those, you start to develop a, a navigational map of sorts of how to how to get that information and get those behaviors that we talked about and beliefs embedded into the organization. Then you take the process piece of it behind the scenes. So as we mentioned before, one of the, the biggest failures I think for the C-suite is to go out and have a big company event. And then preach, this is what our new culture is, here's our new values, all those pieces. Instead of adopting it themselves, cascading it maybe to the director level, then to the manager level, and then to the general employee population. Because by the time it hits the employee community, the general employee community of an organization, you want them to say, oh, that's why they're behaving different. I noticed something, but I couldn't quite put it in shape. Now that you're telling me this, now I understand the expectations. Now I know where they want to take the company. That allows that buy-in. And I know you talk in your book a lot about accountability. And in some sense I use, so don't get too angry with me on this. I use accountability as a little bit of a bad word in some ways, because I want to go past accountability. I want to take I want to allow the employee community to be, have ownership in the business. Not ownership from a stock perspective, but ownership from I matter. I can influence work regardless of my title, regardless of my position. When we get that kind of level of ownership, you get their discretionary effort. Mm -hmm. When you get that, you become a high performance organization. When you start doing that, you've got a competitive advantage now in the workplace. You have a more sustainable business and you become to a large extent, disruption proof because people trust you. Uh, You you had that as a CEO. You could stand up and tell people something they didn't want to hear, but they trusted you. So therefore they bought into it because Andy says it's so. There's not very many places you're going to go and find that a CEO can stand up and say that. But when you have that, it is a huge competitive advantage, not to mention that you know you built a workplace where people enjoy coming to. They feel like they can do their best work and you've made an impact in the community. Yeah. So it, it's, it's really powerful stuff.
0: Yeah, so through all of that, I think the thing I'd like to pull out and really highlight is what you said about as the members of the C-suite, instead of installing, you know, having some big ta-da moment and then expecting the sea of people around you to change, uh, instead, flip it, and you are, you, the C-suite, are the first adopters. Yes. And then everybody else follows ambassador. that. Right. Yeah, that, that's Th- There's one other piece
1: if I can add, Andy, too. So as you start to cascade this, and it gets to the level of the employee community, the general employee community, every single day in your business operates, from that point on, there'll be moments of truth. In those moments of truth, are they going to be somebody doing something counter- what those behaviors are supposed to be and what those values are in the company and you have to address them. Doesn't mean you have to discipline, but you gotta you gotta correct, right? You gotta coach. Yeah. The opposite also true. Every day somebody's gonna be probably who really bought in and believes in it and is an early adopter and says, I want that. That's what I want my company to be, you got to make sure you're you don't have to necessarily reward it, but you gotta recognize it. Right. And you gotta celebrate it with them, even if it's for 30 seconds. Yep. Celebrate it and redirect the other folks that are the detractors still.
0: And and this is how long that takes as a leader. Hey, I saw you in that meeting.
1: Really love that.
0: That's it. That's the <laughs> that's the end of it. Yeah. It's not any
1: Or sometimes it's, it's hey, thanks. Than thanks that. for challenging me on that. Boy, I didn't right. have that perspective. Yeah. That's healthy for us to have that those kind of debates. Great job.
0: I, I heard I heard you.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, which means you matter. Right.
0: So, Rob, we're uh, coming up to the end of our time together here. Uh, uh, I've got one uh, lightning round question okay. for you. Sure. Uh, I, I love the, this is my time machine question. So uh, I give you 280 characters, uh, stuff you in a box. You can send the message to any presage and what previous version of yourself do you send it to?
1: Yeah, I would go back again to my earlier days in human resources. And I would... I I thought that I was going to be really smart and say as long as I had the data and the facts I would always be able to influence and I couldn't have been more wrong. Hmm. While while that was important what I what I wasn't good at is what I would say was being a, I needed to be a better storyteller. Yeah. Tell why it was important not just with data but a why that people could relate to, emotionally get behind and create their own vision of, wow, that's where we could go. I didn't do a good job of that. I thought I was just going to give them compelling data and everyone would just, they would just have to come along with the ride and they just didn't, right? They looked at me like, yeah, so what? That's great data. But I just wasn't a good enough storyteller early on. And that's something I worked really hard at, at, at doing. And, uh, and it was, it was definitely a life lesson for me.
0: Well, thank you for that, that lesson, because, uh, you know, many leaders have convinced themselves that I'm data first, I'm, I'm objective, I'm, I'm a fact-based leader. Yes. But man, if you, if you can't tell the story. If you don't have relationships. If you can't interpret the data uh, and, uh, and help your people understand the data and help them navigate through the change. We've. Throughout this conversation, there's kind of this undertone of the importance of change management, absolutely, uh, especially within culture transformations. Uh, so, uh, Rob, thank you for that. So, where can people find you? What's next for Rob Van Kranenbrock?
1: What's next is uh, another book will be on the way shortly. Yes. So, so that's underway. Uh, still, continue to work out with. Uh, culture at work. And we're doing some really good things for, for our clients. And we're really excited about that for clients that really are serious about cultural change. And, uh, they can find us at www.cultureatwork.net. And, uh, so we're always excited to see new visitors to the site. And I think we've got some, some compelling information for you there that will really at least make you stop and think and say, Hmm. I have my employee community in mind. Am I taking them along? Am I just thinking about business results or am I thinking about my people, my process, and my business results? Because right. you need the business results also. So uh, I'm excited about the next chapter. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to be here today. It was great and great to see you again yeah. uh, as we reconnect after a number of years. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to a really exciting upcoming uh, 2024.
0: Well, thank you for all you're doing, Rob. Uh, this is We've had Rob Van Cranenbrock on the show. He's the author of Culture at Work. Uh, please uh, like, subscribe, rate, share uh, this public good with all of your friends. Really appreciate you being here. This episode was produced by Nicholas Tempty. My name is Andrew Tempty, and we will see you next time on The Balancing Act.